June 13, 2021. Serve one another. Week 5. One Another Series. Thank you, Lord, for the victory that we have because of the cross. We thank you for the victory that we have and the hope that we have in you. And we pray now that as we gather in this place and as you've heard from us, you've heard our heart, the cry of our hearts, we, we invite you to speak to us. As we open up your word, would we hear your voice speaking to us? We pray this all in the matchless name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment in a few moments and you go out in the lobby or maybe if you run some errands this afternoon and you're out and about and out at a store and run into somebody that you know, how far apart would you stand from them? How far would feel too far? How close would feel too close? Or even right now, if somebody that you don't know came and sat beside you, do they use the buffer seat or not? How, how close is too close? How far is too far? Uh, when you think about those kind of Interactions. We've been measuring our distance between ourselves in, in increments of six feet and three feet for the last year, and it's sort of distorted our sense of distance between one another. So maybe it's a good time for a refresher course. And we can start right now in this setting. They found that with public speakers, when there's a speaker up in front of a group, that people prefer to be a, a, somewhere between 12 and 25 feet at least from the public speaker. So that people like to sit at least 25 feet away from the spray zone and uh, some people are so bold as to come within 25 or 12 feet. And then there are those poor souls who have to sit a little bit closer and, and they're not sure what they're doing wrong. But, they, but generally, we like to be 12 to 25 feet away from a public speaker in these settings. There are some preachers and public speakers who have a, almost like a gimmick where they love to walk up and down the aisles and come up and touch people on the shoulder and look people right in the eye and talk directly to you. And they think that they're really engaging people. They're just freaking people out. Like the whole time, people are like, just please go away. Whatever we need you to do, just go back to your box up there in the front. So that's public speakers in this 12 to 25 foot range. When, when you're out and about and you run into somebody who's just an acquaintance of yours, that window is between four and 12 feet. Where, you know, if we don't really know each other that well, then more than 12 feet apart feels awkward. It feels a little too distant, but closer than four, feel, four feet feels a little too close. If we just sort of know each other, we work together or or you're my neighbor, then that four to 12 feet window feels about right. Because less than four feet is getting into my personal space. And they, they quantify our personal space as this one and a half foot to four foot bubble that's around us. And that's really, to be in that space, we gotta know each other. We, ha you have, to, we have to have something in common. We need to have some history or, or some affinity towards one another. That's really your personal bubble. And that's where if somebody doesn't use that buffer seat, and they're not part of your inner circle, then that's, that's where it feels like a bit of an intrusion. Uh, and we call people who invade that space, space invaders or close talkers as they get just within that four foot bubble. But then family or people who are like family, they can get within that six to 18 inch window. Less than a foot and a half, family can come that close. My kids can sit that close to me. My wife can sit that close to me. She may not want me to sit that close to her, but I'll sit that close to her. And we, we, we welcome only certain people into that closer bubble of less than a foot and a half and uh, 18 inches. And uh, so I want you to think about how big is your personal bubble? How much personal space do you need? Some of this is very personal. Some of this is based on personality. Some of this is based on culture. But these are not hard and fast rules, but general principles of how much space we need. How much space do you think you need? The reason why we bring this up is we're wrapping up our last, our, our series called The One and Others. 
and looking at different passages throughout the scriptures of, of uh, commands of how we treat one another. We looked at how to show hospitality to one another. And I hope that if you were here, you remember that we spell hospitality in the church, F-O-O-D. And we break bread with one another. And we've looked at how to encourage one another and how to love one another and how to forgive one another. And we're looking at our last example of the one another's in this series. And it, it involves a scene when Jesus blew right past all those barriers, right past all those personal bubbles and got way too close to the people around him for their comfort. And we're going to see this unfold right here in John chapter 13, beginning verse one. Let's jump right into it this morning where it says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began, washing, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus is seated at this meal with his disciples. They're seated there. And all at once, as, as great surprise at this meal, Jesus takes, it's like he's taking off his outer shirt and he's just got his undershirt on at this point. And he takes a towel and fills up a basin with water and begins to wash his disciples' feet, which raises three questions. When I raise and answer these three questions, we get started here this morning. The first one is, why did their feet need to be washed? Now, we're getting into summer months of flip-flops and sandals and Birkenstocks, and we're getting into a season where we may have to wash our feet more regularly than we would during the winter around here. But in this culture in the first century, they were walking on dirt roads that would be dry and dusty on dry days and muddy and sloppy on, on wet days. And so it was a very common need that when you walked into a home that you would have your feet washed. In the same way that in the winter months and the colder months here, when somebody comes into our home, we offer, let me take your coat for you. And you go hang their coat up someplace or lay it on a bed or something like that. In the same way, when you entered somebody's home in, this, in the first century, it was very common for one of the first things to be said was, let's wash your feet. It was a common courtesy to do this because you need to get all that muck off your feet as you're coming into their home. And so it was a very common practice to wash somebody's feet as they came into your home, which raises the second question, who would wash their feet? And this is where the rub comes in. Because the, the foot washing was always a matter of the lower person washing the feet who was above them. It revealed the hierarchy that was at play within their culture. So that in the first century, wives always washed the feet of their husbands, children washed the feet of the parents, slaves washed the feet of their masters, students washed the feet of their rabbis. And it was always a matter of whoever was in the room, if you were washing their feet, it was a symbol that you were lower on the ladder than they were, which made it humiliating, which made it degrading. And, and even there was a law at that time that Hebrew men, even if they became slaves, were not required to wash the feet of other people because it was seen as so demeaning and so degrading. This is one of these trivial manual labor chores that's on par with emptying the kitty litter or picking up after the dog. You don't want to do it, but somebody's got to do it. And it was demeaning and humiliating to have to do it. Which leads us to the third question. Did Jesus mean us to practice foot washing literally? There are Christian traditions and, and some churches that practice foot washing regularly in the same way that we practice the Lord's Supper and communion and, and baptism, the same way that we, even now this morning, dedicated these adorable children to the Lord 
Uh, there are churches that practice foot washing regularly, quarterly, or monthly, or often where the place where foot washing is most practiced is at the Monday Thursday service during Holy Week, that Thursday, the night before the, the crucifixion of Christ. Many churches will gather together and reenact this ceremony of foot washing to remember the example and the and the image of Christ washing his disciples' feet. And in fact, in, the, in 400 AD, 400 years after Christ, there was one church leader who was campaigning that Christians ought to be observing foot washing the same way we observe the Lord's Supper and the same way we observe baptism. And one of his reasons for doing this was that for 400 years after Christ, it was regularly practiced by Christians in their settings, that foot washing was seen as the sacramental act that we would do together. And one person who campaigns for foot washing says that uh, we should do this because baptism is a once and done thing. It's a one-time thing that we get to participate in. But foot washing is routinely, can be done regularly and throughout our lives. Disclaimer, we are not going to wash each other's feet this morning. If you are getting nervous and thinking about heading for the exits, you don't have to do that quite this morning. But at this point, we see Jesus leaning into the discomfort of this foot washing. He's a space invader. He's, he's coming into their, to, to the disciples' presence a little too close. He's, there's some squirming happening in the room. And as we're looking for the answer of whether or not Jesus intended for us to regularly practice foot washing specifically, I think part of the answer comes to us in verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done to you, done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And these are the words we want to linger on this morning. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And the one another we're ending the series with is this one another of wash one another's feet or serve one another, of making a difference, helping one another, serving one another in the way, same way that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And I think it's incredibly meaningful to, when, when there's, to be part of a foot washing ceremony. Uh, I've been a part of a foot washing service a few different times. I think it's, it was a surprise every single time it happened to me. Uh, but it's been deeply uncomfortable and also incredibly meaningful to be part of that kind of a service and to, to have someone wash my feet or to wash somebody else's feet. I think it's incredibly meaningful when, when a CEO gathers their employees around and washes their feet or when, when parents wash the feet of their children. It's, it's a really meaningful opportunity. And this afternoon, I could go home and I could wash my family's feet. I could go home and I could wash my wife's feet. But you know what she really needs me to do? To unload the dishwasher like I'm not doing something heroic. She needs me to actually like chip in around the house without acting like I'm, I deserve a prize or a medal for it. You know, I've actually worked this down to an art form in my house of making, when I unload the dishwasher, to do it in a way that makes sure I get credit. Uh, one of my tactics is, to, as I'm unloading the dishwasher, to bang things around just enough to, to wherever she is in the house that she knows a miracle is happening in the house. That, <laughs> She can hear the clatter noise say, the Lord has visited this place. And, he, and he, I'm there making, not enough to break anything. I've broken plenty of dishes in our house, but not while well, I'm in the dishwasher. But just to make sure that wherever she is, she knows that this thing is happening. Or other times, I'll grab the dishwasher detergent and go find her wherever she is in the house. Say, do we have any more dishwasher detergent? I think this one's just about empty. Oh, no, I think, no, there's plenty in this. Okay, maybe next time I'll go get another one. Or, or I'll find her coffee cup or her water bottle and I'll bring it to her. Are you done with this? I'm just, I'm just loading the dishwasher. just want to make sure oh, I guess this is hot. I guess you're still... And, uh, or I'll go find her and say, is the dishwasher making funny noise? I just turned it on. I don't ever remember this making this kind of noise before. I guess it's okay. 
the, the bad thing is, I don't know if she's ever heard of these excuses before. I've been waiting for the right time to reveal this, and I think this is as good a time as any. Uh, but what she needs me to do is not to wash her feet. That, that's all well and good. She needs me to chip in and to help. My kids, I could go home this afternoon and wash my kids' feet, and that'd be fine. They might get a kick out of it. They might kick me. I don't know what they exa- exactly do. What they really need me to do is not to wash their feet, but to be patient and to be attentive, to, to come home at the end of the day, not exhausted and stressed out and burnt out, but attentive and patient and, and optimistic and be present with them, to be attentive to them, to be helpful with them in their homework. And my family needs me to mow the lawn and, and do the dishes and make dinner and do things around the house and not may, act like it's a big deal. Because here's the thing, it's better to make a difference than a gesture. It's better to make a difference than a gesture. You can wash feet until the cows come home, but that's no good if you're not making a difference. If you wash somebody's feet and then get on with your day and act like a jerk the rest of the day, then what good is that? If you're impatient or, or unkind, washing feet really doesn't do anything. What, what we really need to do is get down and help the people around us. It's better to make a difference than a gesture. And I think the point here is Jesus is calling us, you know, whether you wash feet or not, I think it's beautiful and meaningful and symbolic when we do those things, when, we, when, we, we, when you're a part of a foot washing ceremony. But Jesus isn't calling us to replicate exactly what he did, but to find ways to apply that in our own context and in our own lives to make a difference with the people we love. But we've skipped over the most awkward part of this passage, and that begins in verse 6. When he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, what now? <laughs> Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, 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 said Peter. <laughs> you shall never wash my feet. No, 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 no. And Jesus answered, well, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Lord Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's going, you see the awkwardness here. Paul, Peter's going from one extreme to the other. And Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. And so Jesus is here in this room. This, it's so awkward. As he, he's blowing right past everybody's personal space and right past their bubble. And then he comes to Peter. And in the original language, it actually shows how Peter is kind of stuttering and stumbling over his words. What, what, I think that the proper translation is actually, who, what, me, who, how? He's just completely overwhelmed. Can't even put it into words how uncomfortable he is with Jesus coming to wash his feet. That a Hebrew man would never wash the feet of another man, let alone a rabbi teach, washing the feet of his disciples. It's incredibly uncomfortable. And Peter speaks for all of us, and he says, no, 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 not thou. Jesus is, in the words of Jerry Seinfeld, a nice guy, but a bit of a close talker as he's going past all these barriers and is touching his disciples' feet. And Peter speaks for all of us, and he says, no, 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 not me. Because for some of us, some of the struggle is to serve, for some, the struggle is to be served, but Christ calls us to serve one another. You notice that Jesus didn't say to his disciples in that room after washing their feet, he didn't say, therefore, go serve other people. He said, serve one another, wash one another's feet. It's this two-way bridge where we both are served and we are served, where we serve others and we have to be available to serve. It's maybe the hardest part about this. 
if we were, and we're not going to, but if we were to begin to practice monthly foot washing ceremonies, or if we were to begin to make this a regular part of our worship, and everybody was required to attend, everybody was required to participate, I'm pretty sure attendance would plummet. But if, if everybody was required to sign up to either be a foot washer or to have their feet washed, I'm pretty sure we'd have far more people signing up to wash feet. Because we just don't, it's one thing to serve. It's uncomfortable to be served. Now just you stay over there. <laughs> Let me help you. Don't you try to do this to me. I have a special affinity for this passage because uh, in my previous life, my, my years at Houghton College before coming and being a pastor here, and my first fall at Houghton, uh, the Western New York District of the Wesleyan Church came and we had our ordination service in Houghton College's chapel. And we were talking about how this is a special thing to have an ordination service for pastors that were having being set apart for the ministry and being prayed for and uh, prayed a prayer of empowerment for ministry and their preparation and work to prepare for ministry and their calling to ministry was being affirmed. We were acknowledging that, yes, you're saying God has called you and we see that calling in you and we're, we're acknowledging you for this and we're praying for God to empower you. We, we thought it's a significant day and we should acknowledge that this is happening here. So we decided we should have some gifts to give to those who are being ordained. And since Houghton, part of the mission at Houghton College is to train up scholar servants who will lead in labor, uh, we said to give them a basin and towel felt like a fitting gift. And so we, we had a, contacted a local artist who made bowls for us and uh, spent time making each one of these personally for each of the persons being ordained. And then I got the towels from Target. And... <laughs> um, but we went to that service and I, stood, I had a moment to share with those who were being ordained and I said, you know, there are a lot of different models of leadership out there in the world and there are bombastic leadership styles and authoritarian leadership styles and, and there's a whole list of different leadership styles that you can emulate and imitate and a lot of these we can even absorb without realizing we're doing it. But as pastors and as leaders and as Christians, our model is very clear to us. We have one savior who... And the night before he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, took up a towel and washed his disciples' feet. He said, well, as you're leading ministry, as you're launching in ministry, remember the example of Jesus who led with a servant's heart. And uh, so we did that that night and ended up being so moving for, for me and for all those who are part of it that it ended up becoming an annual tradition. And, and I presented bowls like this to, to pastors in Pennsylvania and across New York and Maryland and Ontario and the New England states. And it became a really deeply meaningful thing to get. To. If I'm in ministry for another 100 years, uh, this will still be one of the highlights of my ministry to get to, to present these gifts to pastors as they're being ordained. But you know, every single time I went to those, one of those services to present one of these bowls and towels to somebody as they're being ordained, every single time, without fail, somebody would see the, the bowl and towel sitting up front and say, I was so afraid you were going to try to wash my feet. Peter speaks for all of us. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Serving you, I can do that. But don't try to serve me. No, 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 you stay over there. But Jesus tells Peter's of the world, everything and all of us, what we need to hear but don't want to hear in verse 16. When he says, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You know, over the past year, we have been keeping our distance from one another. And some of that has been really essential, and some of that has been absolutely damaging. 
Over the past year, we've been keeping our distance, and while we've been washing our hands and staying at home, there has also been a lot of shouting at one another and bullying one another and demeaning one another and being suspicious of one another and second-guessing one another and manipulating one another. And over the past year, we've seen it all on display, and some of us, to our shame, have been a part of it. And over the past year, we have struggled so hard as a culture and as a nation and as a region with how do we treat one another and mistreating one another and to belittling one another. And it's been a shame over, over the past year as the things have gone off the rails. And what can Christ followers do? How can we rebuild what has been lost? How can we build ourselves up as a counterculture that goes against the grain of what our culture has been doing, that rebuilds what has been lost, the distrust that has been built up? How can we rebuild trust where trust has been lost? And it's by helping, by serving. The way forward is the way of service. The way forward is a way of helping. The way forward is the path of the towel. And Jesus invites us to this path of service, to this path of taking up a towel and washing the feet of the people around us and serving them as Christ would. Richard Foster has a beautiful description of this scene. He says, there in the upper room as they're gathered around for this meal, everyone in the room knew that their feet hadn't been washed. Everyone knew that their feet were dirty and they, they needed to be washed before this meal happened. But the biggest problem was that everyone there knew that to wash their feet, you had to be the lowest person on the ladder. And we all know that we're not going to be the top person on the ladder. We know we're not going to be at the top rung. But the worst thing that can possibly happen is for us to know that we're at the bottom of the rung. And there at the table, it was so awkward. Nobody would even talk about it. Nobody would even acknowledge they are sitting there with their feet caked with mud and dirt, sitting in the awkwardness of knowing that I just can't bring myself to be thought of as the lowest person to be the servant in the room. And in that moment, when Jesus picked up a towel, he redefined greatness. How incredible is it that the king of glory, when he came from heaven to earth and he sat there in the room, that on the night of his betrayal, while his betrayer was in motion, while he was scheming against him, while he was sitting there with his disciples, and they're all worried about who's the best is, that Jesus is in instinct in that moment was to grab a towel and to wash their feet. And he said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So let's wash one another's feet without towels or water. I want to invite you to think about two ways that you can apply this in your own setting. And the first is to pick a place. It may be for you right away, you know, you got to do this at home. Uh, maybe you need to set aside some days that where you're, you're being intentional about having it be a day of service that you're going to try to help as much as you can at home without, without, without any self-interest, without any self-gain from this, just to help people at home or Maybe it's a day to serve in your neighborhood or at work. Maybe there's a coworker who's driving you nuts and, and it's a good opportunity for you to go and to find ways to be helpful, to hold doors open for people as often as you can or to help somebody with a project. Or it could be that you decide, you know, today when I go to the store, I'm going to seek ways to be helpful. I'm gonna, if I see somebody struggling with the shopping cart, say, I can take that back for you. Or, or if you see somebody struggling to reach something, you help them get it. Or if they're looking for something and can't find it, you help them find it. But to find ways to intentionally enter your day or enter some part of your world with the intention of being a servant, with the intention of helping somebody else. And second, be discreet about it. We can help and we can serve in ways that draw attention to it. We can help and we can serve in ways that cause us to be noticed. But there's something even more special about serving people in a way that does not draw attention to us, that is extra discreet. Maybe you help people when when, and try to keep it from them from ever knowing that you did it. In the winter, this could mean brushing off somebody's, the snow off somebody's car or 
This could mean if your neighbor goes on vacation and you're pretty sure you can mow their lawn to their standards of excellence, then you mow their lawn while they're away and try not to tell them about it so that when they come home, they're just delighted that they don't have to mow the lawn when they get back or bring your neighbor's garbage cans back to their house at the end of the day or find some way, maybe empty the dishwasher and try to do it as quietly as possible to not draw attention to the fact that it's happened. But find a place to serve and try to be discreet about it. On a, a very personal note, um, some of you know my father passed away a few weeks ago on May 20th after uh, about a year of illness. Uh, my heart's been pretty fragile because uh, I just miss him so, so deeply. Uh, no dad is perfect, but my dad was great. Um, my dad was drafted in the Vietnam era by Uncle Sam and served in the U.S. Army for two years. And when he was home on leave one time, my uncle and my aunt sent my dad up on a blind date with a woman named Sharon and it took. And they were married about a year after my dad was discharged. And my mom and dad were married for almost 55 years. Uh, my dad, after, after being discharged, went to college and got a master's degree and ended up working for the IRS for, for 30 years and uh, made them really popular at parties. Uh, but the thing that um, my first and foremost role model, when I think about everything we're talking about today, my first and foremost role model, my, my best role model I've ever had in my life for this stuff is my dad. I've spent all of my adult life up in front of people with microphones in my face, preaching or teaching or, or leading worship. And my dad spent his entire life behind the scenes serving in ways that were more discreet, serving in ways that were more helpful. He served in so many different ways in the churches he was a part of and boards and on search committees and helping to count offerings and setting up communion and all these little ways that are behind the scenes that were never up in the spotlight. He, he kind of retreated from the spotlight and loved to serve in behind the scenes in, in small ways. Um, I've heard so many stories uh, over the last few weeks since my dad has passed that all kind of have the same theme, that he was gentle, that he would do anything for you. And all these different stories about your dad was there for me when, your dad was there for me when, uh, when I was at this low point and didn't know what to do, there your dad showed up. My dad loved the Lord, and the way he most put his Christian faith on display was by serving, by being a servant, like Jesus was telling us to do here. Uh, when he had two teenage sons in tax season as an accountant, he'd have this steady stream of people that he was helping to do their taxes for them at our kitchen table every night. It would be somebody else, a steady stream of people coming through our house, including a retired pastor who would come every year and was just a sweet man. And, when the, we had next-door neighbors on the one side who were next-door neighbors for 20 years, and when the husband passed away and the wife was left there alone, my dad would take her to her doctor's appointments. My dad would take my uncle to his chemotherapy appointments. He was the kind of guy who would visit people in the hospital, and when my dad's service happened, it was at Eastern Hills Wesleyan, a sister church of ours up in Williamsville, and I saw a friend of mine who was on staff at Eastern Hills, and I went over to say hello, and she said, you know, your dad came and visited my dad when he was dying in the hospital with cancer. And she cried, and, and I cried. And we just story after story about that. Things that didn't, were, had no fanfare, drew no attention. Things that most of us never even knew that he was doing. And that he was just patiently and quietly accumulating all these stories. 
My brother and I were marveling. My dad was a quiet, soft-spoken, slender, small-stature man who was never the loudest person in the room. He was not a pushover, but he was never going to push you over either. And just a quiet, unassuming man who could blend into the crowd and to hear all these stories of the impact he had had on people's lives, of how, how much of a difference he had made to people. And to see so many people coming to the service and, and to the calling hours and just with their own stories of the difference he had made in their lives. We were just marveling at how such a soft-spoken, quiet man had made such an impact. And it was because when you were with my dad, it was about you, not about him. He was always focused on you and helping you and blessing you right to the end. The, the night before he passed, the last thing he said to me was, I love you. A little while later, the last thing he said to my brother was, I love you. And then his last words on this side of eternity were to my mom, his wife of almost 55 years, and he said, I love you, Sharon. And I watched my mom over the last weeks and, and months of my dad's life just serve him with excellence and so tirelessly. And I'm telling you, it is such a sacred thing to watch these two people who've served each other for 55 years serve each other so well right to the very end. It is a sacred, beautiful thing. And I bring up my dad because, A, I love him so much. It's, he was always there, and it's hard to imagine a world where he's not going to be there. Uh, but because we, I, I've gotten to see and hear the impact of all these little stories of service, of things, that, stories my kids are telling me about things that he did for them, and we're seeing all the accumulation of these little stories and the profound impact they've had, not, not just the individual stories, but this lifetime of living the city, this lifetime of, of living your life to be pointed outward to serve other people. The example of Jesus and my parents has shown me that when you're serving someone in Jesus' name, the space between you and them is holy ground. So let's serve one another in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your example. That you are the way that you are, that you have the character that you have. That you're a difference maker. That though you were clothed in glory and splendor, yet you left that behind, Jesus, and came down among us and walked on our dirty roads and washed the feet of Galilean fishermen. Oh, Jesus, help us to be like you. Oh, Jesus, help us to be like you. Help us to serve as you would serve and to love as you would love. We pray this all in the matchless name of Christ our Lord. Amen.